You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. Well, we are continuing our, our sermon series called Legacy Continued. Uh, Logan last week did the prequel to the service, uh, to this series, and uh, usually we do prequels after the fact, and that's kind of the new thing, but we decided to do it on the front end just to be a little different um, than culture, but... Uh, we are talking about Abraham was invited to partner with God and has said that through his seed that all nations will be blessed. And you and I are a part of that blessing. And the question that we're wrestling with is, now that we've received that blessing, what are we going to do with it? Now that we've received that legacy, what are we going to do with it? And, and we're using the life of of Isaac and Jacob to really kind of answer the question of what does this look like? How, how does this work out? Abraham didn't always get it right. You know, we think about Abraham as this spiritual giant, right? But he didn't start there. He started like you and I with all kinds of questions and more questions than answers. And I like that. I like the fact that he just didn't start off knowing everything and just doing, you know, like walking on water everywhere he went, you know. Um, that wasn't Abraham's story. He was what we call roughly right. And that's actually a core value as a church that, that God uses imperfect people with imperfect theology because that's all he has. All of us have an understanding of who God is one way or another. We have some kind of preconceived notion or or, or some kind of notion that we've even researched. But we're talking about an infinite God. So if you're not still learning about how to relate with him, you're not trying. <laughs> He's an infinite God. <laughs> keep searching, keep looking, keep growing. Keep, and, and we make mistakes like Abraham does. And so, but we're not gonna let those mistakes get in the way of us continuing to live out this mission, this legacy that we've been given. And so we're looking through the lives of, of Isaac and Jacob predominantly, what does it mean to live out this legacy? What kind of legacy did we receive you know, from our parents, from those who, who discipled us, those who you know, led us in Bible study or, or just helped us to connect with God in some way, shape, or form? What kind of legacy did we receive? And what does it mean to live out our own legacy and leave a legacy for others. And we're gonna this week look at Genesis chapter 26. And this chapter is presented kind of like a eulogy. So you go to someone's funeral, you sit down, the pastor stands up, he has a piece of paper, maybe they've met him, maybe they haven't, and they read off their life story. And it takes just a few minutes to read through it. It's not every story. Usually they're mostly good stories, sometimes not. That's awkward. Um, and, and that's the way this reads. It's, it's like a eulogy. It's one chapter that has 99% of what we know about Isaac. As far as him living as, a, as an adult, living out this legacy, we get a one chapter look. And what's interesting, Let's pull up that uh, next slide. What's interesting is Isaac's story is connected to his father's. Now, that sounds like an obvious statement, right? Of course his story is connected to his father. But the author tells his story in such a way to connect, like, like it's to draw these connections, and it's like a reverse telling of Abraham's story. Abraham when he first enters into the promised land, the land promised to him, to the land that was shown to him, he, he pitches his tent and he sets up an altar 
and he worships the Lord at Bethel. That's in Genesis chapter 12. Later, he goes to uh, Egypt, and then he comes back, and he's super, super rich, too rich. It's grotesque how rich he is, and the land can't support him, and so there's quarreling between Abraham's herdsmen and and, and Lot's herdsmen, in fact, his name hasn't even changed yet. It's still, it's Abram at that time. So there's quarreling. And then we're told a, a number of times that, that Abraham is, is a rich man. But there's, there's one time where, where Abraham refused the riches. It's when he chases after and rescues Lot. Remember, Lot gets kidnapped and, and taken away along with a number of other people from the town he's from. And they take away all their possessions too. And, and, and the king of Sodom says, have all the goods, just give me the people. And Abraham says, nope, I'm not going to profit off of you. And so, you know, he's got the money, dollar, dollar bills, you right? And then his story ends with Abimelech. And, uh, and that's in Genesis chapter 20. I won't say too much about that story because we're going to see that right off, the, right off the bat. But Isaac's story has elements of his father's story all the way through it. And maybe we need to pay attention of what is similar, but also what's different. So let's jump into this. Genesis 26. Now there was a famine in the land beside the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to the Egypt to stay in the land which, but stay in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you, for to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. I'll give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I should say that word descendants is actually a singular word, and it's seed. It's seed. I'll multiply your seed. I'll give your seed these lands, and by your seed all the, all the nations shall be blessed. Because, because... Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And I want to pause for just a second because we're going to look at verse 5 more in depth in footnotes, but I want to focus in on this one thing. When it says that Abraham obeyed me, in the Hebrew, it's quite literally, he obeyed my voice. He obeyed my voice. Three things are required, at least three things are required for you to obey someone's voice. First of all, you have to be close enough to hear them, right? Well, my wife and I will sometimes be in different parts of the house, and, and one will say something to the other, and it's like, whoa, 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 wait, let me get closer. I didn't hear you. And then you have to have attention. You have to pay, pay attention. When I was 16 years old, I worked at Arby's, and there were a number of times where my supervisor would, I'd walk into his office, he'd give me a list of things to say or do. He'd give me a list of things to do. And I was thinking about the date that was going to go on after, after work. He did not have my attention. And I don't know if I got the four things done they asked me to do or not. I <laughs> stressed me out. Uh, so we had closeness, you have to have attention. But then there also has to be a will. You have to have a desire to obey. This is what God had with Abraham. This is the kind of relationship that he had. And the question is, will Isaac obey God's voice? And the question is, will you obey God's voice? Will you draw near enough times for him to speak to you with enough regularity that he could get your attention? Will you pay attention to the things that he's saying to you? 
And will you have the will to say, yeah, I'll do that. That seems weird. That seems hard. That's challenging me, but I will do that. So in verse 6, we're told that Isaac lived in Gerar. And I want you to take a look at this picture because this is a picture of a house. And, and I, Rabbi David Foreman has a video on this and I'm watching the video and I'm going, why is there a house in the video? Like, that's weird. I think the artist got that wrong. Because he was told to sojourn in the land. That's a kind of a strange word. You could say he was told to tent in the land. He was told to stay in a tent. Look at the next slide. The Hebrew word for settle is yeshab. Isaac decided to sit, to remain, to dwell, to build a house. But he was told to gur. He was told to sojourn, to stay in a tent. Now, I anticipated that Abraham was told the same thing and that Abraham, wherever he went, he yashabed and not, um, or that he gird and not yashabed. I was wrong. I was wrong. Abraham yashabed all over the place. I don't know if you could past tense that or not. I just did. Um, he settled. Abraham settled But Isaac is told to not settle, to live in tents. Interesting. Was it wrong for Abraham to settle? I don't know. But Isaac was called to something very specific. And that's true about our own legacy. Even though my legacy is connected to my parents' legacy, I have my own legacy. Legacy. There's things I've been called to that they were not. There are things that they were called to that, that I have not been called to. There's a uniqueness, and we only catch that if we obey his voice. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for she was a, he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. Now, my wife is beautiful. No one's threatened me kill, to kill me over that, so grateful for that. This is Isaac's problem, not mine. Um, it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing Rebekah. That's a little embarrassing, isn't it? Um, that word really isn't caressing, We'll talk about that in footnotes. It's connected to Abraham's story in a very particular way. Pay attention or listen to footnotes. That'll be fun. Um, Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. You've been caressing her. Come on, man. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, what is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now this this story is almost full auto repeat from Abraham's story. This is what Abraham does when he goes not only to Egypt, with Pharaoh, but to Abimelech. And there are certain things that my mom and my dad would do that that have just been an automatic response for me, things that I caught. Uh, the, The first thing that I caught was before I was even born. My dad was in the uh, army down in clean Texas. My mom was was, uh, pregnant. She was well with child, if you know what I mean. And it's a hot Texas day. And uh, 
my mom is waiting for my dad to, uh, he's in formation and they're, and they're waiting on the colonel to come out. And it's a hot Texas day. And my mom is well with child. For the women in the room, is that good or bad? That would be bad. <laughs> that would be bad. My mom gets a little upset, a little ticked, if you will. And she, she's, she's in a 69 Camaro RSSS, and she lights up the tires to clearly communicate to the colonel that she is displeased with how long he's taking to come out. Who's born with a lead foot in the Croyle family? This guy. <laughs> you know, we, there's things that we catch from our parents, whether it's our spiritual life or, or just, just life in general. We, we catch things. And, and we don't even think about it. We don't even think, but why is this true of me? Why do I have to do zero to 60 in the shortest time period? Why? I don't know. I do. I now know. I mean, I know. Sometimes I don't want to know. You know. And so Abraham and Isaac, their stories are connected, right? And Isaac's got to figure out if he's going to repeat this process like his dad repeated the process. Verse 12, now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Hundredfold, that's, that's uh, miraculous. Um, it's a miraculous harvest. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very, in the English it says wealthy. We should just keep going with the same word. Three times in one verse, we're told that Isaac is Gadol. He is made great. The author's trying to highlight something here. I wonder if we'll see something else coming through. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and great in a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells with which, which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham's father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there, encamped in the valley of Gerar. He camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. A second time, we're told that he settles. But here's a problem. How are you supposed to be a blessing to all the nations if the nations are asking you to leave? How are we supposed to be a blessing to the people around us if they don't want to talk to us because how hard we stand on certain things, or at least the way we talk about those certain conversations? Aren't we still supposed to be a blessing to all nations? Isn't this promise to Abraham carried out through the church? But sometimes the church isn't welcome because of the way the church talks about things or acts. Is that problematic? Then Isaac dug again the wells of water in which he had dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found a well there flowing water. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Setna. Let's take a look at this uh, first graphic we got here. We're told a couple different times that, that Isaac settles. And we're told a couple different times that he unstops wells that the Philistines have stopped up. And the Philistines are not happy that he's, he's staying. In fact, the Philistines are mentioned in, in a negative light three times while we're told three times that he has become 
very rich. What the rabbis have learned from this is that how God's people uses their wealth matters. Are we becoming wealthy for our own purposes? Are we being blessed by God for our own purposes? Or are we going to use that blessing for others to be a blessing to others? And when Isaac unstops the wells, the people are like, no, that's ours. What you don't see Isaac do in this case is, is play the God card, right? Bam. God says, it's mine. Deal with it. He doesn't, Isaac doesn't see the need to defend himself. And so in verse 22, we're told that he moved away from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over, over it. It's like he learned from his father that when the herdsmen quarreled between uh, Abraham and Lot, that Abraham just decided to part ways. It's like, it's not worth the fight, guys. We don't need to demand our way here. And so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last, Lord, the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. See, he didn't see the need to flex his muscles, rattle swords. He didn't see the need to demand his way, to uh, proclaim persecution. Like he, he didn't see the need to defend himself because he knew that the Lord would defend him. And so we got this next picture um, and by the way, when it says that he moved away from there, that phrase, that Hebrew phrase is used one other time in Genesis and it's connected to Genesis 12, 8, when his father set up a tent. And so wink, wink, nod, nod. The author's telling us that instead of going and building another mansion to put on display his blessings of God, he decides he's learning that he must sojourn. He must tent. That, that everything that God told him was important. That he had to pay attention to all the words that were given to him. And I don't know if you've ever been there to where God has told you something specific or you read the scriptures and you're like, oh, I need to do something about this. Like so many times... You know, especially young in life, I'd open the scriptures. I'm like, oh, I guess I need to go deal with that. Um, and I would kind of deal with it. You ever do the kind of deal with whatever God's telling you to do? Kind of kind of get on board with God? Kind of, kind of, you know, set your life in order? Kind of doesn't really work in God's economy. We don't get to experience God and, and all that he has when we kind of do the things that he says. He wants all of us. And, and Isaac is learning that. Verse 23, then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you. And I will multiply your descendants, again, the word seed, for the sake of my servant, Abraham. See, this relationship is growing. It's becoming more intimate. But also, there's no mention of land here. See, it's the second time God comes to Isaac Every time God comes to Abraham, the, the vision becomes bigger. He comes to Isaac and it goes the other way. It's like it's a big vision and then a little bit smaller because you got this part figured out. You're not fighting for the land. You realize you don't have to fight for the land because I've got your back. 
See, when we go with God, we have a quiet confidence. When we pay attention and do things his way, even the world around us is chaos, we can have peace. Even when people want to fight us over something, God's got this. And so he, he built an altar. And there he called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there's Isaac's servants dug a well. Now, when, when Logan told me that how these stories kind of mirror each other, but they go backwards from each other, like Abraham's story goes this way, and you know the, it's a mirror image, but flip-flopped. I'm like, no, 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 it's not, the tent's not involved. Because when you go to camp, right, you leave here, you're going to go camping, the first thing you do is you build your tent. No, the author was very clear to say that he built the altar. He built the altar, and then he had a worship service. And then he built the tent. Isn't that interesting? And so, let's take a look at the next graphic. So, so he, leaves, he leaves the home. He leaves the mansion. And he walks away from wells that he dug out. He just walks away from them like he's not using them. Someone else is. And, and he moves away from there and he tents. And, and that's the first time he really experiences peace. And he's like, oh, I'm going to continue tenting. I'm going to sojourn some more. And so he goes further. And God visits him there. And that's when he builds the altar and has the worship service. And then he builds the tent because he's not concerned about the tent. The, the land, fighting for the land is not his to do. He's not there to make his name great. He's there to make God's name great. And we know this is true because when, when uh, Abraham first builds his altar. That story is juxtaposed right next to the story of the Tower of Babel, where the people want to make their name great. They build a tower. Abraham builds a tower, and, and Isaac learns from this. We're not here to make our name great. I'm not here to make the name of Mission Ridge Church great. If people remember the name of Mission Ridge Church and they don't know our God, then that's not a success. That's not what we're after. And Isaac learns that. What's Isaac's impact on the community? Does, it, does this even matter? Like he doesn't fight doesn't argue, does it change anything? Well, the author thinks so, because look at verses 26 through the end of the chapter, or at least the end that we're going to cover. Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Ahuzath and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to him, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. We're talking about a pagan people. The Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you'll do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. You, you, don't remember the, you don't remember the arguments? And you tell me to go away? <laughs> you probably didn't remind them of that. You are now the blessed of the Lord. This is the result. When we do things God's way, Jesus says, someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. As you go to one mile, you go two miles. How often do I want to turn the cheek? How often do I want to go half a mile? But it works. 
Then Isaac made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about in the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water, which in that part of the world is life. No water, no life. And so he called it Sheba and therefore named the city Beersheba to this day. Now Sheba means seven, Beersheba, uh, seven wells. Are there seven wells there? Uh, Not by my research. Uh, In fact, if we bring up the last graphic, uh, the one before, that one, there's four wells. We could count them, right? We've been doing this for a long time. One, two, three, four. Problem is, The Hebrews don't think about numbers the same way that you and I think about numbers. We think quantity, they think quality. And the number seven means the perfect number. Maybe Isaac was just finally content. He recognizes that when he chooses to make God's name great, that the people will indeed be blessed. The nations will indeed be blessed through him as he obeys the voice of the Lord, as he does what the Lord says, the way the Lord says it, because it matters. Now, can God use people in houses? I hope so, because I have one. I haven't been called to live in a tent. You haven't been called to Africa yet. Isn't that the great fear? If I go where God wants me to go, I'm going to end up in Africa. I know some people that are doing amazing work in Africa, and they love it. I haven't been, I live in a house. God can use people that live in houses. I've been told to build roots here. That's good. We've moved so many times. (laughs) Christy and I are so ready to not move. And Logan says he'll move my dead body out of that house. Maybe but nothing else. Only my dead body. Apparently I have heavy furniture. Let's bring up uh, this epitaph, this eulogy of Isaac and Abraham. Our stories are connected. What's been passed to us through our parents, through our family, my spiritual heritage is, is, has deeper roots found through my aunts and uncles and my grandparents. My parents, they, they had an abysmal start to their spiritual journey and an amazing finish. Like them, I've had a, 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 I had a horrible start. I gave Christians a bad name. I was the kind of Christian you don't want to become. The question is, will I finish well? And while I learned from those mistakes, you know, Abraham, he's got some, some highly redemptive moments in his life. And then some not so redemptive ones, like the Abimelech story. Why, why is he telling his wife to do the same thing again after dozens of years? After God gives him a son? through a promise. Why is he still reverting back? Probably because he's made of the same stuff that you and I are made of, where we revert back to these things that we wish no one knew about. These problems that we wish weren't true of us. These things that we go, that shouldn't be true of 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 a Christ follower. But it's exactly those reasons that I am a Christ follower, because I need him. I need him as much today as I did yesterday or 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, I was a train wreck. And Isaac learns to live out his own story. And there's, yeah, there's these connections. You could, you could see part of his dad's story in his story. But he's figuring out how to live it out for himself. How to listen to God's voice and obey himself. 
which may be the most useful thing that you could ever do as a follower of Christ. Learn to listen. Give him that closeness and that attention. That's why we do life transforming groups. We read three chapters every day for a week, and then we come and talk about what did we hear from God. And we do that in groups of three so that we could talk about real things. It's three guys or three gals meeting once a week. And our, and our care groups, it's a little bigger group. We talked about what was talked about in the sermon. What in the world did Logan mean by that? I meant Rob. What did Rob mean by that? Why would Rob, what was Rob smoking when he said that? Rob doesn't smoke. Um, we need to learn how to hear and obey God's voice. One of the most useful things you'll ever learn in following Christ. And he'll say things specifically to you that will lead you on a path of redemption and of restoration. And he knows those things about you. I feel like sometimes in, in the Christian world, we don't give people enough space to make mistakes to figure it out. Like Isaac makes some mistakes, the same mistakes as his father, and God didn't give up. In fact, right out of the gate, right? It's the first story. That's like throwing a pick six. You think you can score seven points, now you're seven points down. Like that's how Isaac starts his life. And maybe that's where you've been. Maybe you threw a pick six in your spiritual life and you're like, I knew better. I'm still down. I'm way behind. Maybe God can't use me. <laughs> no. The story tells us he can and will and wants to. And he'll continue to lead you and teach you. Give him your closeness. Give him your attention. Give him your will. Trust him. Learn to live out your legacy. And let's leave the next generation, our kids, the next generation of young believers come walking through the door like, I don't know what this even means, but here I am. Our spiritual kids, let's leave them a legacy. A couple implications this week. First of all, legacy, the legacy we receive is messy. Some of ours are messier than others. We'll talk about this in, in, in footnotes because I, I was like, oh, I, I could diagram this out and I could talk about this and, and I know you guys are starting to get hungry. <laughs> so I, we'll save that for footnotes. But it's messy. We will need to learn to live out our own legacy. There's things that you caught from your parents there's things that you caught from your spiritual mentor. My, my uh, probably the mentor that I spent the most time with, a dozen years, um, didn't finish well. He did not finish well. It breaks my heart. I learned so many valuable things from Don. There's some things I wish I could emulate like he did it because he did it so well. He didn't finish well. I can't emulate that. And I got to be concerned about what did I catch from him? What did I, did he not say, but I just picked up on? What attitudes? Like, does the biblical narrative match some of the things that you believe to be true about God? Does the biblical narrative bear that out? Or do you need to go look and see for yourself what the scriptures say about who your God is. Because maybe they had a lot of things right, but those things that they had wrong could be really destructive. I think our culture's, our white culture has struggled with racism in a way that we need to reflect on and recognize. Maybe it's just racial apathy, but it's still problematic. Like, what did we catch 
from our parents, from our grandparents that we haven't even thought about. That's just part of how we live life and we haven't really, it's messy. We have to recognize that. And it's okay that it was messy because they needed a savior too. And God wants to do something about that. Second implication, our very best legacy is lived out when we choose to make God's name great. And there's no two ways about that. You want to live out the very best legacy of life, the one that you could be proud of no matter where you go. Make God's name great. Make his name great. He deserves it. Absolutely deserves your worship, your praise. Like I know sometimes worship services are kind of like, I don't know what to do. Like this feels awkward. That's okay. Go and awkwardly celebrate your God. He's good with awkward. Has to be. (laughs) I'm about as awkward as they come. Our best legacy is lived out when we choose to make God's name great. And you will face conflict when you choose that. When that is your aim, when that is your goal, you will face conflict. Uh, I'm not surprised that we're facing conflict and trying to move our church downtown so we could start a child care. I, I am not surprised by that at all. Everybody but one organization is so excited that we are going downtown to start a child care center. Everybody. It's like, you're doing what? That's fantastic. Like, I don't know how many conversations I've had. And there's one. And how we face that conflict will matter. Isaac faced conflict. Abraham faced conflict. And the way they faced that conflict and the way they dealt with it brought God honor. Some people in facing conflict have lost their life. Martyrs over the centuries. We don't face that here. Please don't say you're persecuted in North America. (laughs) You're really not. There's people dying in China to make God's name great. There's people dying in Iran to follow Jesus. There's people dying around the world to make God's name great. We're not doing that. But how we face that conflict matters. Oh, and by the way, in those places where people die for making God's name great, guess what happens? More people come to Christ. Because God's name will be made great if we choose to be part of that or not. His name will be made great. He is that good and worthy. Jesus said this, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If I'm ever in conflict with you, know this, I will pray that God blesses the daylights out of you. If you're not praying with me to bless the people that are opposing us and moving our church, and oh, by the way, they're fine with us going down there and being there on Sundays. They're not okay with us having a child care center that ministers to people Monday through Friday. And I refuse to be a church that just does Sundays. We should do Sundays and be a blessing to those around us. And we're just trying to be a blessing to those around us. So guess how I'm praying? God bless this person. God bless that person. If you want to know who to specifically pray for blessings for, you could come and ask me. I will tell you. But we're going to bless those who curse us and we're going to pray for those who mistreat us. Because Christ has called us to that. Some next steps. One, inventory the legacy that you have received. If you have never thought about it, please do. Take time to figure out what was the really redeemable parts and what parts do I need to grow from? Because all of us have both. 
We have those redeemable parts that we need to get, get better at, that we need to strive towards. There's things that, that Pastor Don showed me that I need to strive towards. There's other things that I need to guard myself against, right? Inventory of the legacy received. Secondly, when you face conflict, ask the Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? Logan and I have been praying this for our, for our church. What do you want us to know about this conflict that we're facing? Isaac had to learn. Philistines are coming at him, right? What do you want me to learn? Oh, I didn't obey your voice fully. I need to do that. I'm even more convinced today that we need to do a child care center than I was a couple weeks ago because of this conflict. I'm more convinced that we need to be a place that Monday through Friday, we have our church doors open. If God's going to give us a big space, which that is a big space, if God's going to give us that space or some other space, then it needs to be open. It needs to bless people throughout the whole week. There's, there's some things that I process through personally. When, if I'm in personal conflict with somebody, what am, what am I feeling? What's the, what's the primary emotion? Because I think sometimes we have this angst inside of us and we're not sure what it is. Is it fear? Is it, um, do I feel rejected? Do I feel betrayed? Do I, f- like, what is this? That I didn't even, like, what are my emotions? Sometimes we're not very good as Americans at identifying what's actually going on inside our ticker. And then I ask God for strength. We should be a people of endurance. And this is a time of endurance for us at Mission Ridge Church. Ask for the awareness of his presence because I can face hard things if I know my God is with me. Now, maybe I got off track. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the one that needs to get back on the road that he's on. Maybe I stopped listening to his voice and I got distracted by my own thing. And so, so this allows me to get back on track. And, and then I say, teach me through this experience. What do you want me to learn from this. And then number three, build your altar before your tents or your house or your business. Like we, we need tents. Isaac needed a tent. His family needed safety and security. Like those are good things. He's providing good things for his family, his community. The Hebrew term is Be'av, the, the house of the father. He, he has a number of people that he's responsible for. He needed to build tents. But he built the altar first. That was the first priority. Jesus said it this way. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now I'll say this, we can overdo this. And I've seen some people do foolish things going, oh, I'm just giving everything to the Lord. They don't ever make their tents. And community helps us kind of figure out when we're out of balance there. I've been out of balance. My wife has said, hey, can we build a tent too? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. So we need community sometimes to live this out well. But I think of Jen's story from a couple of weeks ago, how she became a foster parent when she thought that she needed to be married first. She's building her altar before her tents. Uh, for me, I've, I've always made sure that I could participate in church and do ministry. I always made sure that was a priority of my life. Going back to 1990-something, Probably 91. I, there were some times I, I refused promotions 
because they would get in the way of me doing ministry. I felt that, like I felt like it was that important. I didn't become a paid pastor until like five years ago. It's been a bunch of years doing ministry. And, and I didn't always get that right. Sometimes I wanted to build my military career instead of, and got out of balance. And I had to come back and rebuild my altars. I think about tithing versus like investing in our 401k or, or I've, I've learned to experience my God through my tithing. Build your altars and then your tents. Our church, we're not going to just be here on Sundays. Part of building our altar is the impact they'll have on the community. And make no mistake about it, God is making himself a great name with the people I'm talking to because the way we choose to chase after this, the way we choose to trust God in the midst of this, and the way we choose to not let this dream go. And I don't know what God's going to do with all of that, but if his name is great when we're all said and done, I'll be satisfied. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.